have your Bible with you, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. New Testament book of Mark this morning, chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. If you're a guest with us, we are working our way through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse. We're getting close to halfway through the book, but we are watching attentively as Mark presents to us Jesus Christ as our King and what it means for you and me to be followers of Jesus, to be followers of Jesus as our King. And if Jesus is on the move, what specifically does that mean for us who claim to follow him? It's one of the things that Mark will be presenting to us this morning as we read verses 7 to 13 and think about what it means to be sent by the king. With all that in mind, let's read verses 7 to 13 together. This is the word of the Lord. And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus calls you to follow, he also calls you to go. When we become part of the family of Christ, we have a DNA that establishes a new identity. We are witnesses. We are in our DNA by our new blood in Christ, missionaries called to go and proclaim this gospel of our King. In this passage, Mark gives us three marks that should be present in our mission, three things that we should see when we look at our mission. We're only going to get to two of them today. The third one is the courage that will be required to represent Jesus in the face of opposition. We're going to see that more next week. This this paragraph that we're in is part of another one of Mark's sandwiches, and he connects this mission to the death of John the Baptist as an example of the conflict that this gospel will bring to the world. So we will consider that next week, but today I want to look with you at two distinguishing marks that should be present in our mission. And we should ask ourselves, do we see it in our lives? Do we see it in our church family? The first mark you should see in our mission is the grace in representing Jesus. The grace in representing Jesus. You see this in verse 7 and 12 and 13. Read those three verses with me again. Verse 7, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Then down to 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Sometimes the job 
doesn't seem to match the job description. Have you ever had that experience? You go through the interview process and they give you a list of things that you will accomplish in this job, things that will be required of you, things that you will get to participate in. And then you get the job, you go to work, you're there for a while, and none of it seems to match. You're not doing what they said you'd do. You're not getting to uh, receive some of the benefits they promised you. The job description doesn't seem to match the job. The disciples might seem to fit that description here. They might, may feel that way. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, we see the call of the disciples. Jesus appointed the twelve, whom he named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. That was in chapter 3, the job description. Well, so far, up to this point, the disciples have been with Jesus, but Jesus is the only one being sent. He's the only one going to proclaim. They haven't seen the rest of the job description quite yet. As one writer puts it, all this time, the disciples have been spectators rather than partners in his mission. They have been the extras rather than the actors in the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Before we move on any further, brothers and sisters, how many of us fit that bill? How many of us have just been the extras in Jesus' story and never really been the actors? Let me just ask you, how are you currently, right now, participating in the mission of your king? What are you doing daily to push the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved you forward? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Where are you going? Some of you may think, well, that's not me. I'm not qualified for that. I I didn't go to seminary to participate in the mission. I, I don't have those qualifications. I still need to grow more. I still need to learn more. I'm not quite the Christian I need to be before I can go out and do the mission. Do you remember who the first missionary in the Gospel of Mark is? Wasn't the 12 disciples. It was the Gentile Jesus delivered from a demon in a graveyard. What kind of qualifications did he have? Now, I want you to stop and think about the 12 disciples right now. Think about where we are in chapter 6. What have you seen from the disciples so far? Jesus sends these 12 out to go and proclaim, and up to this point, They've seen Jesus heal. They've seen Jesus cast out demons. They've seen him preach his message. But all they have done is slow Jesus down. All they have done is misunderstand the gospel. They've even tried to stop Jesus from praying and participating in the mission himself. These 12 aren't the 12 apostles from the book of Acts. Jesus does not send his people based on their merit. Jesus does not send us based on our qualifications. Brothers and sisters, Jesus sends us 
based on his grace, on his mission, his plan and purpose for his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29, Paul says, Consider your calling. Consider your story, church family. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Paul tells the Corinthians plainly, you are not here on this mission because of who you were. You didn't have a resume to get this job. God put you as part of this plan and this mission because he wanted to out of his love and his grace for you. So church family, if if what's holding you back from being on the mission is you think you haven't quite arrived, remember your story. But this is the gospel, brothers. This is gospel 101. God does not save the qualified. God does not save those who have earned it. Romans 3, verses 23 to 24, we are told all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God sent his son Jesus on a mission himself to live a life of perfect obedience because you and I did not. And Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. And God was pleased with the work Jesus did and rose him from the grave on the third day so that you and I could be a part of this family, so that we could be a part of this mission. You do not do anything to earn your way onto the team. Colossians 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 12, Paul tells us that God qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So friend, if you are here today, God has brought you here, and you have never received this grace And recognize that it's not about what you have done in your life to be right with God. But it's all about what God did for you through Jesus Christ. You can become a part of his family and join this mission today. And all you have to do is repent and believe. Turn from living your own life, your own way, in your sin. And put your trust in what Jesus did for you and how God qualifies you himself to be a part of his family. And believe in what he did on the cross and in his resurrection and you will be saved. Church family, are you with me? This is not just the story that saves you. This is the story that sends you. When Jesus calls you to follow, he calls you to go. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, yes, I know the story. I know the gospel. 
I've received the gospel. I've received Jesus' grace. That's my testimony. And I've got you. Okay? I've got you in the corner. The minute you say, that's my story, that's my testimony, that's the minute that God says, that's your mission. The minute you claim the gospel to be yours, Jesus sends you out with an objective, with a mission. Grace, brothers and sisters, doesn't just erase your guilt. It equips you to go. It doesn't just save you. It molds you. It shapes you. It it changes you and it empowers you. Brothers and sisters, let me just press into this. You have more power, more ability, more resources, more qualifications, more everything than these 12 had. You have the entire written word of God, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. These are things that Peter and James and John and the other nine did not even have. One of the guys that Jesus sends here in Mark 6 is Judas. He's never a believer, ever. As Mark Strauss writes, Jesus can use even the most flawed instruments to accomplish his purposes. Friend, if you feel like you're not ready, you're not enough, you're not equipped, you're not good enough, you're not qualified, allow me to tell you this. If Jesus can use Judas in Mark chapter 6, Jesus can use you. God's grace came to you so that it could keep going. God's grace came to you with the design to find someone else. To keep going. Friend, where is God's grace sending you this week? What name does the grace of God in your life have on it? Who is God calling you to have a gospel conversation with? And friends, places in the world may tell you that you're not allowed to share the gospel in these walls. Break the rules. We follow a king. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul tells Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let the grace send you, Timothy. When people look at our mission, that's what they should see. Not a bunch of super qualified individuals who are obviously gifted, but weak, small, insignificant people who've been saved and strengthened by the grace of Christ. We're given another mark in our mission, something else that people should see. They should not only see the grace that comes with representing Jesus, they should see the faith in depending on Jesus. It's going to require some faith. It's not going to be easy. Look at verses 8 to 10. Mark writes, Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. This is an interesting 
paragraph that people have taken and twisted and come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. Some of these instructions are trip-specific. They're one-time instructions for these 12 disciples. Even later, Jesus sends them on another mission and tells them that they're allowed to take some of these items. So what we're looking at here, we're not exactly supposed to talk about what you and I are wearing, but there are some principles here that are very relevant and very important, and I would say um, crucially ignored by the American church and by a lot of us. There's, there's two phrases here that highlight the faith that are, is required to live on mission. Two phrases that I want you to see lift up out of the page and think about what does that look like in my life? And some of you are not going to be ready to really assess how that works in your life. I'm just telling you now. But if God has called you to follow him, he's called you to go, and he's called you to do that in a certain kind of way. He's the king. The first phrase I want to point out to you is when Jesus tells the disciples, take nothing, in verse 8. Take nothing. It may sound like Jesus is setting up some extreme survival competition, like one of those reality shows everybody watches. Maybe he's one of those who loves um, tra- tidying up with Marie Kondo, and this is all about minimalism and having a simple life in a tiny house. That's not what's going on here. Jesus is not just promoting the virtue of packing light for a trip. He's putting his disciples in a position of dependence. He's making them operate dependent on the Lord. Kent Hughes writes, the minimum of provisions was meant to call out the maximum of faith. That's what's behind Jesus telling them what they can't take, the no bread, the no bag, the no money in their belts. Jesus is calling these missionaries to a lifestyle of simplicity. He's calling them to be free from the sinful baggage of greed and envy and the God of wanting more and more and more. He's telling them and he's telling us that they need to be devoted to the kingdom mission instead of being devoted to themselves, to being devoted to their pleasure. This mission not only deserves a single-minded focus, but it's this dependence that's going to open up doors for the gospel. Later on in the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 6, Peter, when he was healing the lame beggar, he tells him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It's because Peter had this lifestyle of dependence that he was able to present Jesus and Jesus Christ alone to this man who needed salvation. Jesus tells us, take nothing. I'm coming back to this. I'm coming to your neighborhood, but there's one more phrase you need to see. I need you to stick with me and so that we can consider what this looks like when we follow Jesus. The second phrase that Jesus says is stay there. Stay there. Verse 10, he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. 
a sign of their dependent faith will be their contentment. Jesus is telling them, when you go on a mission to a new town and a family welcomes you into their home, do not keep looking for better housing. If you get to a house that doesn't have great Wi-Fi, you can't move down the street when you find a house with better internet. If the cook at the house burns everything, stay there and eat burnt toast. If the bed is too cold, if the house is too small, if there's cockroaches in your pillow, stay there. Part of trusting God when he sends you is trusting God in where he sent you. As one writer put it, the spread of the gospel has to take priority over our personal likes and dislikes. Hello. Is there a truth that the church today needs to hear more? Let me just go back and read it, brothers and sisters, just in case you missed it. The spread of the gospel has to take priority over personal likes and dislikes. Jesus wants the church, he wants us to be able to say, say the same thing Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul was so content, he could stay there even when it was a prison cell. He was satisfied with his mission, no matter where God called him. When people look at us, church family, do they see a take-nothing, stay-there kind of faith? When people look at you and the way you live, the way you spend your time, your treasure, the way you use your talent, do they see a person who is dependent and content with where the Lord has sent them? How dependent are we? Do we take nothing? Kent Hughes tells us, warns us, that we are in more danger of having too much baggage than too little. 2 Timothy 2.4, however, Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, I'm trying to get to your neighborhood. I'm going to come through your front door right now. I want you to look at that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God called you on a mission. He made you a soldier on a mission. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Let me ask you, friend, what is entangling you right now? What earthly pleasure, what earthly desire, what hobby, what activity is entangling you from being 100% sent on mission? What responsibility, what obligation, what commitment have you made that has hindered you from living full on mission today? Now, I've thought about this 
deeply this week, and I have written something that I want to read specifically because I don't want to miss a word. I want you to listen closely. What specifically entangles you? Are there prized possessions or financial decisions in your life that hinder you from showing your neighbors a radical faith? If we went to your neighbors and we asked them, tell us about your mission. What is their greatest priority in life? What do you see from them when you look across the street? What would they say about you? Consider what Jesus told the rich young ruler, church family. Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus said, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. It might be time, brothers and sisters, for some of us to get rid of some things. It might be that you need to sell a possession. It might be that you need to back out of a responsibility or a commitment that is totally keeping you from being on mission. It might be your boat. It might be your golf clubs. I don't know. But we are called to take nothing. Secondly, we're called to stay there. We're supposed to be content. How content are we? When God calls you to a place, how ready are you to stay? We were just talking about this in our new members class. Our culture refuses to commit to anything. It's ingrained in us. We, we hop from one thing to the other. People change jobs more now than they ever have before. It used to be that you would work in one place for 30, 40 years. You, you were committed. And now if you make it three, you're doing pretty good. We hop from one family to another. There's nothing sacred about marriage. In church, we hop from one church to another. We look for bigger and better. We look for our personal likes and dislikes. They rub us the wrong way, I'm gone. It's not about God calling me to a mission. It's not about me being content and where God's put me to stay there. It's about what I want. And listen, it makes sense for the world because this is all they got. But when we operate like that, when we operate looking for the green grass and keeping up with the Joneses. When we do that, what does that say about our dependence and our faith in the mission? Friends, we have forgotten why we're here. We have forgotten who we are. We belong to a kingdom on the move. 
We were called to be missionaries that follow Jesus, sent out to proclaim the gospel. We weren't called to sit here and get comfortable. Hebrews 13 verse 14 says, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I was just talking with a friend recently who by all accounts is a respected, valued member, servant of the church who's done a lot for this church. And they said in our conversation that with just everything going on, the way things have happened the last year or so, he's just drifted into vacation mode and just kind of sat back took his foot off the gas stopped thinking about how he was on mission vacation mode friends I would venture to say that it goes well beyond the last year the church for too long has been on vacation mode Brothers and sisters, I know a lot of us are getting anxious and a lot of us have said things like, I want to get back to normal. Well, friends, the normal vacation mode of the church ain't going to fly. It's not healthy. and It's not obedient. We've got to look ahead and look forward. Friends, this church the church, I need, I need you to hear this. You're going to hear it from me a lot in the coming months. This church is not an all-inclusive trip on a cruise ship where you get everything you want. This church is a battleship assigned for combat, ready to go on mission for the Lord. Which ticket did you buy? Jesus never said, come and enjoy everything the way you like. Jesus said, go and make disciples. John chapter 20, verse 21. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Brothers and sisters, can you embrace that call with everything you have? The time is now, brothers and sisters. Stop looking at church as something for you and look at it as an opportunity to serve the king, to be on mission. Brothers and sisters, recommit yourself to the mission the Lord has given us. Use your time for Jesus, not for you. Use your talents for Jesus and not for you. Use your treasure for Jesus and not for you. Not because we need to earn something from him, but because God's grace has brought us to him already and put us on the move with Jesus. We're not doing this to earn some approval from Jesus. We already have it, and he's given us his Holy Spirit, so we need to let it empower us to depend on him and stick it out for the long haul. church family are you ready to be on the move because when Jesus calls us to follow 
He calls us to go. Let us pray.